there is this utterly mysterious capacity of knowing what's happening. Of being what we call aware. To be awake in the present moment results in thoughts being observed as phenomena. Mostly and without training, we humans are embedded in thought. We are unaware of thinking. And we take the stories of thought to be true. We get up in the morning and we pull on our somebody suit and all day we think about our somebody. What do I like? What do I not like? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with them? How can I fix this? But then if we have the great good fortune to encounter the Dharma or some other consciousness discipline, we start noticing, oh, here's the breath breathing. Here is this beginning of this breath. And we come to be able to do this without words, just to be present with the sensations. And then the fact of thinking in the trance states of everyday life become very obvious. So please let's sit together, home, in the breath or home in the knowing. Not fighting with thoughts, but also setting ourselves free.
time and again, we make the initial contact. Awareness awakens from the trance. And there's nothing to think about. There's nothing to figure out. <clears throat> or if there is something to think about or figure out or resolve, then we put aside meditation for a few moments or maybe longer and enter a contemplation where we think about things and we weigh the differences between things. And we pay attention to our intuition in the practice of this form of meditation. None of the content is of any particular importance. It's the process. So time and again, we embrace It's that taxi goodbye kiss. This moment, can we kiss the breath? Can we embrace the breath? And it's not even the breath, is it? It's these sensations that are, that co-arise. And at the same time as we are cultivating the capacity of awareness to co-arise with the sensations, there's a quiet question which is not intellectual, which is not based in thought. Is anything lasting?
Each breath, each thought, each sound comes into being and then disappears. This is the reality of the dance of every single thing that has occurred on this side of the Big Bang. It's because of this truth that life exists. And it's because of this truth that we have so much suffering when we deny it, when we try to make things be permanent. So we embrace as best we can in this moment, this truth of anicca, impermanence, not permanent, We could say, and sometimes people do, well, what's the point? Nothing's worthwhile. We might ask the surfer on a beautiful wave, what's the point? Why bother? It's such a short ride. But what a ride it is. And the same is true with the flowers in our gardens and the beauty in our relationships and the challenge and struggles. <clears throat> so as in the taxi kiss We embrace the present moment as it arises and does its momentary dance in consciousness. I have a song I'm going to attempt to play, if I can find it. My mouse has vanished. I'm going to not play the song. Oh. And so now bringing awareness into the, the entire body, the feet, <clears throat> the legs, ah. perhaps it will work. Mm. 
Notice how alive this body is. It's nothing but life. Life arising in this present moment. And in this flow of life, there's something that we also have or that exists called intention. What's my intention? Being aware of our intentions is crucial because that's what charts our destiny. So what about that intention of compassion? So much spoken of in the Buddhist world. I intend to be compassionate, starting with myself. Compassion requires love. Love meaning there's room for everything. When love encounters suffering, it converts to compassion. I aspire that when I'm hurting, no matter how I'm hurting, emotionally, physically, existentially, <clears throat> I aspire to hold myself in sweet compassion. Sometimes there's nothing we can do about the pain in our lives or the pain in the world. Often there's nothing we can do. But we can approach it with compassion. There's great upheaval in the world right now. There always is. Somewhere there's always upheaval. We can hold that in sweet compassion. This is the nature of human beings and the nature of the universe, constant change, anicca. And bringing awareness now into the aliveness in the face and invite your eyes to open. <clears throat> Notice the effort it takes. They're not heavy, but it does take effort. It's somewhere Somewhere up there in the forehead, it seems like. There's some activation that's necessary to open the eyes. And then noticing, seeing how it mysteriously appears. And then there's awareness of seeing. And the visual field is, of course, nothing but changed. If you move your eyes from left to right, try that. Just look to one side and then the other and notice how the visual field is one mass of change. Anicca. <clears throat> and if it will work, I want to do a brief little dharmet. There. <laughs> Here is the map to awakening. It will be on the test. 
Oops. Can I change it here? No. Oh dear. Sorry, gang. I have to come back out. Go back in. See if I can find it. That might have been it. <laughs> oh dear. How frustrating. Oh, there. Let me see. Oh, good. I'm going to make it much bigger, 150% bigger, more. 200. There we go. All right. So back to you. <laughs> oh, dear. There we are. Hi. If it will work this time, I will do this. Okay. Share this. So this is going to be rather small, but <clears throat> some of you who've been here routinely, I talked about setting out on the journey and the five hindrances and abandoning the hindrances and then working on developing the seven enlightenment factors. This is the youth usefulness of the Buddhist lists. It helps to know where we are on the map. And then we get to a point called access concentration or neighborhood concentration, where the centrifugal forces of mind are really calmed down a lot. And so we wind up just being present with what happens. And then there's a choice point. We can go into the jhanas to, to practice high concentration states, um, which has not been the majority of my training, um, but I, I do understand that somewhat. And then we go into another, another approach, which is choiceless awareness. And we start just watching how things are arising. Something arises at the ear, at the eye, uh, a memory comes up. And that's really where insight meditation practice begins. And we, dev we devote ourselves to the four foundations of mindfulness, to the body, to feeling, to mental formations, and to mental objects. And this is the point of why I'm saying all this today, right now. Oh, I get it here. I can move this. Ah, okay. This, <clears throat> I can make it bigger. 400%, boom. There we go. Choiceless awareness, insight, meditation, practice, the four foundations of mindfulness. And why are we doing that? If the fundamental question of a spiritual life is, who am I? Who am I really? The response to that in the Buddhist world or in the Theravadan Buddhist world is to say, well, why not carry out this, the experiment? Why not really be a scientist and carry out the experiment and, and test three hypotheses? The first one is, the one I've been emphasizing today, everything is anicca. There is nothing in the world of birth and death that lasts. Is this true? Second hypothesis. <clears throat> the world of birth and death, the world of being in a body, is shot through with dukkha, which is, dukkha is literally the grit in an axle when you throw sand into like a, a wheel, into an axle. There's always a leak in the canoe, Ruth Dennison said. And that s s slight to massive disappointment and suffering is my favorite English word, ubiquitous. It's with us all the time. And then this third concept, which is little understood often in the West and people, we struggle with it a lot, anatta which literally means not soul. And um, the translation I like best is, look, as, look, as, look with a highly trained consciousness, you will never discover yourself. You will never find something that endures that you can put, hang your hat on. What you will find is everything. And you'll discover that you're not just your tiny little self, but in fact, you are the ultimate, the exquisite universe. And the notion is that as we become very familiar with these and they become more than a household word, 
we discover the freedom that comes with awakening. And that starts, of course, with minor, you know, less, less trouble in our, in our, with our emotions and more capacity to deal with the, the vagaries and challenges of relationship. And, but the direction is very clear. It's to wake up to our true nature and to our place in the universe, which is everywhere. So that's my little Dharmet for the moment. Uh, one announcement, I don't want to be sure to mention, Betsy Toll and I will be with you if you want next Saturday from nine to one, uh, looking together at how we use this time of social isolation and COVID-19 to become really a lot more loving and kind and, and attentive to ourselves and to, to help us prepare for how when we do, as we do, reintegrate back into life that we manage to do it with more heart and much more caring. So with that, I want to pause my speaking and open up to any question you have or any sharing on this Saturday morning as we proceed through another Groundhog Day. <laughs> So if you wish to speak, please, I think, press the space bar or unmute yourself and just speak. And again, I, I, as I like to sometimes, I want to invite the quiet voices among us to, to come forward if you wish. No compulsion. Jim, why don't you say that so everyone gets it? Can't see you. There's Jim hiding. <laughs> okay. My my computer went on strike here. Um, I would I need to go meet my folks in the park for a, another morning of uh, Tai Chi. And, but I wanted to thank everybody again for being here each morning. It's an amazing way to start my day. I really appreciate it. But I have to cut it short today to um, <clears throat> meet my other Sangha <laughs> and uh, do a little stretching in the park. Take have your raincoat. Take your yes. raincoat. Yes. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, Jimbo. One other announcement while we're engaged like this. Um, a week from Monday, I forget the date, uh, there's going to be a new address for this meeting, and I'll be posting it next week. On, on I'll be talking about it, but I just want you all to know that we're going to abandon this Zoom address and have a new one. So, and there'll be a, a few instructions with it, but it'll be very simple, I hope. <laughs> it's intended to be simple. Robert, this is Terry in Seattle, and I'm just wondering, I'm not on computer, I'm on phone. Is Will there be a way to access that June 6th um, gathering on just the telephone, or would you have to be on a computer? Oh, it's the same. It'll be a Zoom uh, call like this. Yeah. Okay, and then I, I have access to getting that number. I just wanted to be sure. Perfect. Well, the, the, the June 6th thing, the only way to have access to it is to register. And how would you do that? You go to the portlandinsight.org website and go to the second row down of little boxes and there's a, an ad for it there with a pretty picture. Go in there and then you register there. Okay, thank you. And thank you for what you do every morning. What a wonderful way to be here. <laughs> thank you. Lovely to uh, connect with you, Therese. Bye. Oh, I got to do something here.
<laughs> There's always so many little details. Please bear with me a moment. People on YouTube can't hear unless I do this. All right, that'll be good. So please, the floor is open, so to speak. Robert. Hello. It's B. Hello, B. <laughs> nice to talk with you this morning. Um, <clears throat> I've been wondering for the last week or so if you have any thoughts about this next phase we're beginning to enter into, mm. where things are starting to open up and we're <laughs> making rather intimate negotiations with more and more friends and acquaintances about um, how to be in this new situation. It just feels like a kind of a, um, an unusual time where we're much more aware of each other's comings and goings and doings as we decide who we might spend some time with or not spend some time with. I, I don't know if I'm being clear here, but it just feels like we're trying to make a lot of choices and decisions um, without causing harm in a broad sense or to each other, uh, just in terms of our emotional states. Mm -hmm. It feels to me like it's important for us to begin to not be completely isolated, that we long for and need each other's company. Mm. And yet we also still want to um, continue to protect ourselves and protect each other. How do we, how do we go about that dance? Do you have thoughts oh. about that? <laughs> Thank you. Mm. <laughs> well, one thing I think it isn't is gathering by the thousands in small pools and saying, ah, my faith will protect me. I don't think so. Um, I've had, I've, yeah. I guess all I can say is what I've been doing and what I, I think I will continue to do. Um, Oh, a wave of sadness. I'm 72 years old. I have some asthma and some hypertension. I'm in what they call the high risk group. And I really don't want to get this thing. My, my, um, my daughter, Tara, has been working in New York. I think I've talked about it with, um, and she actually got the beast and, and was, has been home for two weeks, but she's okay. She's having a young person's journey through it. Um, but she has said to me on two or three occasions, dad, you don't want this, be careful. And she's described what it's like for those people with some with some complicating comorbid conditions like mine. Uh, and it's really a bad thing. Well, of course, it's killed 100,000 of us here in the States. So my operating principle is uh, I need to primarily to protect myself. And so I'm masked and I'm going to be masked for quite some time when I'm out in the world. Um, and it's been interesting, you know, I had one, I had one meeting with my son and grandsons and, and there, my son and his partner, uh, are being very careful about their, and so I think it was a low, low relatively low risk circumstance, but, uh, I, I've, I've had to be at PIMC for a couple of things. The phone system wasn't working. And so I met with the fellow and, and, uh, I said, I asked before he came, before he came, uh, I presume that uh, whoever comes will be masked and will be maintaining social distance. And, and uh, the guy said, yes, of course. Um, and so then when we had an appliance fail, our washing machine fail, and same thing, I just required of the person coming into my house that he be masked. And I was a little careful, not, I don't think, I didn't sanitize the washing machine after he left and so on, but <clears throat> so, I'm going to approach it really carefully. 
and we're not in a rush. <clears throat> we're not in a great rush to open PIMC to, to do, to, to have a few people in the Dharma hall so we can say we're back in the center now um, because it's complicated how to do it and to do it safely. So I don't know if that's any help, but I think just, just being really uh, overt that, you know, if, if you're coming over for dinner or, or, you know, if you're inviting someone that <clears throat> let's do it very safely. Is that, is that approaching what you're curious about? Um, it is helpful, but I'm almost more talking a little bit and we don't need to extend this too much, but I'm almost more talking about the, um, the emotional aspects of, of, um, of having that kind of more intimate relationship, say with old friends, of who do you gather with in very small groups, perhaps oh, outside. Oh. And just, we, we haven't had to have those conversations with each other. We don't usually say to each other, well, what, what have you been doing this past week? You know, or do we feel safe together? And so it's a new, it's treading on new water where we've given each other, we've always, you know, just, there's a large element of trust here to be talked about and also um, just feelings about it as we make these decisions. I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a real answer to this, but I wonder how you approach it kind of openly oh, and compassionately. Cautiously. And uh, you know, I, I, uh, I'm a little hesitant to, to, for some reason to bring this up, but it's, it's, it's like those who are dating and the conversations about STDs. It's like, uh, exactly. have you, you know, how, how active have you been in your conversations with people and how safe am I to engage with you? There's that dimension of it. And I, 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 I think I'm going to try to just be honest. Something that helps me a lot is to say, I'm really, I feel awkward in this conversation, but I need to say this. And that way it, um, it's, uh, it allows me to really be fully myself. But th thanks for bringing it up. It's, a, it's an interesting question. Thank you. Thank you. Huh. It's a really interesting question. Good morning, Robert and Sangha. It's Jessica here. Hello, Jessica there. <laughs> it just, all of a sudden, I just got overwhelmed when B asked that question and listening to it. And it just dawned on me that it's almost strikes me like um, there's Thich Nhat Hanh's book on anger. And one of the ways that he uh, suggest approaching when you're feeling anger or you see someone else angry is just to say, I love you so much, especially with a dear one. I love you so much. I would love for us to work this out. And so in my mind's eye, I just thought, well, wow. So when I want to engage with our close friends, our family, almost the lead in, I love you so, so much. And I want us both to be safe and I want us to be able to reconnect. Um, please know how much I love you and then please know how much I want us both to be safe. And that just, wow, I'm gonna get teary. It just made me realize um, how important. And, I, and it's funny that you mentioned, not funny, haha. -ha, obviously about Tara, I'm, I'm so glad she's recovered. We are pretty sure our youngest son had the virus. And one of the things that dawns on me until we know about how this thing carries or sheds or when it stops or when it starts that, you know, my ability when I next see him to just give him that immediate big hug. I mean, maybe it'll be okay, but uh, it's one of those lingering sadnesses. And yet I know for everyone's sake, we just have to be super, super loving and careful for ourselves and for others. So thank you, Bree, for asking that. It brings home to me the magnitude of this epidemic. It's not something that is just going to be over and 
it's and the consequences can be dire. Um, and uh, th there's the, that part of me, there's a part of me that wants it just to be, for God's sake, be done, be over and with, so we can get back to life. But it's not. And so, hugging or not. <laughs> Robert. Tim, Sandra. hello. Hi. Um, I live in a kind of high density part of Northeast Portland and there's six on the block that I live in. There's six small businesses. And the third of which just went out of business. I don't mean closed for the season. I mean, gone. they're, they're gone. Yeah. That kind of, that kind of made it real for me. You know, I know that theoretically, when we come back, it ain't going to be like it used to be. But, but these are three small businesses. I mean, you know, small businesses. And they're gone. Mm -hmm. and that's the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. What's the count? I think it's 30 million Americans have gone, are out of work. Phew. Robert, this is Pamela. Hello, Pamela. And one of the things that I was thinking is, uh, thinking about what, what you said, B and, and Jessica, um, is how, in a, in a way, how much more careful we'll be um, I think about friends that I'd love to get together with and, you know, we might have at one point just said, let's go have a cup of tea. And now you have to think about I don't, I don't know how to say this in a way that doesn't sound insulting and I don't mean it that way, but it clears out um friends who are sort of casual in a way because we have to go to a fair amount of effort to be with somebody we care about. And so maybe we don't want to do that with absolutely everybody that's it, that's sort of peripheral in our lives that it's, um, it sort of clears out the flotsam in a way in terms of personal Mm -hmm. closeness um you know a friend of mine said i want you to come over and and have have tea with me in the road in the garden and and i had to think about it you know because we'll have to set up her place to be able to be far enough away and be outside so the weather will have to be right and we'll wear masks unless we're actually drinking tea and so all of those things um it kind of has to be worth it. And, and I was thinking about, you know, when people are dating and, and that, that's actually when you're taking the next step and you have to have a conversation about STDs, um, you get to stop and think, is this, is this gonna, is this the direction I really wanna go? Is this where I wanna put my energy? So mm. I don't know if that's helpful, but it, it has been helpful for me to think to actually think about that. Well, I, I'd like to say something in response. So yes, it does make it harder to get together. But for those people who who are don't don't really have any close friends, and and they're they're going to be left pretty lonely as their casual friends drop them and then they'll have no one so just uh, just another thought wow good morning robert and thank you b and uh jessica and everyone 
Um, I've had this conversation with a friend of mine, Margaret, who is a physician in Seattle. And um, we have talked about all getting together or getting together and we made the mutual decision that she is um, in the line of conflict with, with this disease. And um, we're just gonna have to really be mindful about this and, and not get together right now because it's dangerous. which flies against the desire to get back to things being quote normal and the remembering this really is a big deal. I have to sneeze. I'm going to mute myself. <laughs> this is Lauren. And I just wanted to thank Diane personally for your comment that really touched me and I just thought that was an amazing thing to share. So thank you. Robert, I have a thought about this too. It's, <clears throat> it's sort of a way I've been preparing myself because, you know, just uh, empirically we're talking about opening up and people are starting to loosen up and we've got crowds in various places where they didn't used to be. Um, and there's, you know, my brain is telling me that this is, this is still out there. It's not going away. And there's a great urge to relax, but I've sort of been preparing myself by saying, this is going to be a long haul and it's a personal decision. I think people need to make, but there's, based on what we know clinically, there's a two-week delay in seeing the effects of a decision that's being made. So, you know, Memorial Day weekend, um, we're not going to see the effects of that until the middle of June. And yep. if, as we know, the effects are exponential, where things are in the middle of June won't be revealed until the beginning of July. Um, I'm not... Uh, how should I say this? I'm not willing or hoping or whatever, but based on just empiricism, I'm taking the view, I'm going to continue doing what I've been doing uh, and see what happens in June and July. My, my stomach's telling me that the disease is going to tell us what we should be doing and what we should have done. And I think where we will be in a month may be revealing and those who choose to be really conservative and protective will fare better than those that don't. Um, so I'm kind of resisting the popular urge to relax and, and mentally I've just sort of been preparing myself that, you know, this, this is the way we're going to be living for a while. Uh, and I hate to be a spectator watching harm to other people, but um, that's just kind of how I'm approaching it. I'm not, uh, I'm not having any expectations that this is going to change for me anytime soon. Thanks, David. Hi, I'm just going to make this short. Um, I'm Gail and, um, I listened to Amy Goodman. It's, uh, it's on Kebu, and she's from, she interviews journalists, scientists, um, epidemiologists, all, all kinds of people. And um, the information that we receive, depending on the place that we get it from, is not complete. And, um, I try to give myself a break because listening to that stuff is a little too much. <laughs> but I, I'm getting like hits around some researcher who did a study saying, well, 10 feet is really more reliable than six because this, this is the study I did, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it just kind of goes on and on. And so I, I think it's human nature that... Um, 
unless it's right up in our faces, the reality tends not to be there. And so people have to have personal tragedy in their home or, or you know, lives with friends to really grasp the magnitude. And um, I so appreciate this conversation because I, most of my friends don't have the um, thoughtfulness that has come out, you know, in this conversation. And um, just yesterday, there must have been some kind of sub celebration in Battleground because there were hot rods with flames coming out the back, the big four-wheelers with the, the American flag waving, and somebody cut me off and left me on the railroad track at, on the street. I mean, it was wild here last night, and I just go through and go home. <laughs> so I don't know, but if... If I didn't have this every morning, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's pretty sketchy around here. And, um, thanks, and, Gail. Yeah. So thank you so very much for this. Thank you. Well, it's, goodness, it's already 13 after 8. Anybody else? This is a conversation that no doubt could go on for a long time. I was just going to add the further complication. Up. My daughter, who's 12, came to me yesterday and she said, Mom, I can't. Oh, can you hear me? Breaking up, but yes. No. Frozen for me. Sorry, Timma. Can't. Oh, now you're now you're muted again. I'll try one more time. Does that work? Yes. My connection might be unstable, but it's just calling up to me. My daughter's sharing with me. Yesterday, she came to me. She's twelve, in tears, and said, "Mom, I just can't stand it. Some of my friends." they're starting to get back together and they're posting it on social media and it's making me really sad so you know I really felt so compassionate for her because I get that you know we want to but we still feel like it's better to stay more protective so I really feel horrible for the children that are seeing mixed messages as well mm. about what to do so. Yeah. I, I just want to add one more point. It's kind of the obvious uh, in the absence of leadership, which we currently have, um, where good information is not being funneled and, <clears throat> and checked, we kind of have to be our own leaders uh, and listen to those we trust and be really careful of the sources we're getting information from. Uh, and on something like this, my attitude is better safer than sorry. So go with more conservative views and, and hope that you're wrong. But it's not our fault um, that we don't necessarily know exactly what to do here. And vote. Robert, I know it's late, but oh, I, I'm. Um, can you just say a few words on on anger and hopelessness? And this has been such a hard week for me with um, the political situation. Uh, I mean, it's just kind of broken through the um, the equanimity, and I just. You know anything that you can say to kind of help get back on track <sighs> a long time ago it was 2004 I led with my then partner, Nancy, a pilgrimage to Thailand. 
and it was uh, and my sadness is touched by yours and i've been i've been in the news a little bit in the last day or so and this tragic insanity that's upon us now um But anyway, it was it was in the run up to one of the Gulf Wars. I think it was Gulf War II, shock and awe. And I asked, I'm forgetting, Achan Gayaseko, Gawaiyasoko. Anyway, he said he's a Japanese man who became a Thai forest monk, who has a large monastery in Western Thailand, almost on the Burmese border. I asked him what. What can I do? I see my country going insane and uh, the war drums going and and uh, he was very kind and he mentioned something about well it's out of your control you you don't have control over it do you and then he said balance your own mind and heart and practice love and compassion so how to do that one thing one thing is i know i can't watch watch i can't i can't watch much of the news because then i'm there i'm not i'm not a spectator from afar it, it watching it takes me to be there and it riles up my own uh, anxiety and anger and um so titrating my dose and also going as deep as I can in our, let's go as deep as we can in our meditation to, 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 to touch the other pole where this is the way of the world and that's how it is. And I can still be peaceful despite the fact that this horror is happening. Don't know if that's any help, but that's that's the... That's the direction that I tend to take myself. Thank you for bringing up that question. Um, I've been really heavy hearted this morning hearing about what happened in downtown Portland and it's, it just feels like the social fabric is unraveling in front of our eyes and I get sad and scared and angry all at once and um, <laughs> trying to right. to breathe and stay. Yeah. But that is feeling really big today. Another thought. <clears throat> we have we have a profoundly dysfunctional leader of the country surrounded by dysfunctional people supporting it. And uh, it, it sets off in me and I know in many others, the anguish, terror, etc., of having had dysfunctional parents. And part of what's happening is the 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 anguish is is not just about the politics or about the economic situation it's that way deep inside there's this feeling like mommy and daddy are out of control and and it's not even verbal but it's just what can i do and and it's it's therefore important to um to acknowledge the uh, the, the primitive meaning deep in us nature of our upsetness and to then comfort that small child. Thank you. Yeah. I hadn't even heard about Portland yet. So that's an interesting thing. Something happened in Portland. The mind is now wanting to know what happened here. And what happened here was no doubt more of the same. The shadow side of humanity emerges and it's just not pretty. It's dangerous and frightening. Ah, well, I'm very reticent to go. 
He could just stay here at least until lunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think I'd like to close today, not with our song, but with the Yashakur practice. Yashakur comes to us from Islam. And it's one of the 101 beautiful names of God. And it means how exquisitely God is manifesting in this moment to me as you. Now, if the God word sticks in the craw, how, how exquisitely the mysterious universe is manifesting to this, to me in this moment as you. And we, to do this, we put our hands over our hearts and we fill them. And let's include in this, I'm forgetting his name, the poor fellow that was killed by the police and, and the angry demonstrators and the, everyone, all of us, we're all just ordinary human beings having been influenced in our lives. And uh, we could, any one of us could be playing any of these parts, depending upon our conditioning. So to all beings, Yashakur, okay? And we'll do it six times. So starting at the heart and just thinking of that, how exquisitely, hmm, hang on just a second. Let's add into it a meaning of may, may, the, may the greatest of compassion be available to all beings. Let's do that too. So the words are Yashakur, and we'll do it six times. Yashakur. 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 Look at all those hands opening up. It's beautiful. Yashakur. So, dear friends, thanks for coming this morning. I will be here again on a different link tomorrow morning at 10, the Sunday morning broadcast from PIMC. Thank you for all the perspectives you brought to this time of opening and heartfeltness. Bye-bye. <laughs>